where Jesus spent, some people predict, as much as 80% of his ministry around uh, these three communities or villages, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. And despite what the Pharisees thought, that Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish universe, uh, Galilee was not really a backwards region like some people might think. Um, as you recall in our first uh, class, we talked about talked about uh, the Via Maris, the highway, the tro trade route that actually ran through uh, Capernaum, um, and Jesus chose Capernaum to be his home. He moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. He had his ministry started, uh, centered there. Um, Capernaum uh, was a international village located on the Sea of Galilee. The major town was the home of fishermen, farmers, and a Roman garrison. Capernaum had a large synagogue. Uh, many of the Two Testament stories about Jesus took place here. Chorazin was a village located three miles north of Capernaum. It had uh, grain fields there, and as you recall, uh, we talked about uh, the Sabbath day a few uh, lessons ago, and the disciples went and picked grain and ate grain on the Sabbath, which the Pharisees were challenging him on, and it was believed to have been in this area. And then, finally, uh, Bethsaida uh, is where Peter, Andrew, and Philip uh, were from. They were successful fishermen. Uh, the town was located on the north end of the sea, near the mouth of the Jordan River. And Jesus fed the 5,000 and healed the blind man in that area. Now, uh, we're going to read from the book of John, uh, chapter 1, 36 through 46, says this. <clears throat> the next day, John the Baptist was there again, and two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about uh, four in the, in the afternoon. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was the one was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And the next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip like Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. 
So today, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about discipleship and what discipleship meant in the first century. So we see in these verses that we just read that John the Baptist had disciples. And those disciples, when they hear John say, look, the Lamb of God, that those disciples recognize Jesus as the Messiah. One of them, Andrew, then went to tell his brother Peter that they had found the Messiah. At this time, all the Jewish leaders and even the common people at that time were looking for the Messiah to come on the scene. So we see in Matthew 4, as Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee, he sees Peter and Andrew casting their nets. And they recognize Jesus because they saw him or knew him from the prior meeting uh, when they were with John. So we see as we read through the scriptures, they essentially walked away from their profession. They started spending time with Jesus. The rest of the Gospels account for the rest of the story of Jesus and his followers that we call disciples. Now, we don't use the word disciple very much in our language today. So, we might have to ask, and I've got to skip through some of these because I missed them, we might ask uh, Webster's Dictionary what a disciple is. And so Webster's Dictionary says this. One who accepts and assists in the spreading of the doctrines of another. And we will pretty much go along with that definition. So as Jesus spoke to his disciples that day, what did they hear? Come follow me, he said. I will send you out to fish for people. What does that mean? What were they supposed to do? They had just met him. You know, later in the Bible, we will hear that he wants them to do. He wants to tell them, and he says, he wants to tell them to go make disciples of all nations. But before we get to that point, we really need to understand what a disciple is, or what a disciple is in the day and time of Jesus. So we're going to go back to the very beginning of what it means to be a disciple. Now, we've talked about before that the central part of a Jewish community or a village was the synagogue. Their lives centered around the community and the activities there. So here's a picture of the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, what is a synagogue? In Hebrew, it's called Beth Hakanesser, House of Assembly. But in our way of thinking, we think that the synagogue is church for the Jews, right? That's kind of what we think it means. But it was really uh, a place of community place of study, a place where teaching took place, a place where the reading of the Torah took place, because the scrolls, the biblical scrolls, were stored in the synagogue. 
synagogue was not a place of worship. At least it wasn't at the time of Christ. Remember what the Samaritan woman said to Jesus at the well? She said, you worship where? She said, you worship in Jerusalem. We say on this mountain is the place to worship. So worship took place for the Jews in Jerusalem. It didn't take place at the synagogue. The Hebrew Bible instructs the Jews to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. In the spring for Passover, in summer for Shabbat or Pentecost, and in the fall for Sukkot for the celebration of Booths, which celebrates the wandering in the wilderness. It says this in Deuteronomy uh, 16, 16. It says, Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, at the festival of weeks, the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So, they had at least three pilgrimages a year to Jerusalem to worship God. But the synagogue was community. It was study. It was teaching. It was reading of the Torah, the first five books of Moses. So because the text was stored in the synagogue, it was a place to meet, to study, and the rabbis would come there to teach and discuss and debate God's word. Um, Jesus came there the synagogue to teach people, to give a word. But not everybody who debated and knew the scriptures became disciples. Uh, early in an early class, we talked about education. And we often think the people of the day in Jerusalem and the Galilee area were backwards, uneducated. Um, the elementary school and each village was connected to the synagogue. So the beginnings of discipleship really started here in the synagogue in elementary school. So all the kids began going to school starting about the age, age of five. Now, elementary school was called the best supper or the house of study. It was a place of reading, of writing, curriculum of the school, like all Jewish schools, was the Torah, the first five books of Moses. Kids, both boys and girls, primarily would learn to read and write and recite the Torah. Other subjects were studied, math. In the larger towns, the teacher would be a rabbi. The local rabbi would come and teach the children. In smaller places, uh, the synagogue would employ a local teacher, a learned man. So how did they study? They memorized. They memorized the text. They memorized the Torah. Now, in my Bible, the first five books of Moses in the Mark, was 285 pages. I have trouble remembering phone numbers. How
how in the world could the people of that day memorize the five books of Moses? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So, by the time they finished Beth Sefer, elementary school, by the age of 12 or 13, they knew or memorized the entire books of Moses. Now the Talmud says, and you recall the Talmud is the oral law written down, kind of outlines how people grew up. It says, at five years of age is reached for the study of scripture. At 10, for the study of Mishnah. At 13, for the fulfillment of the commandments. At 15, the study of the Talmud. At 18, for marriage. At 20, for seeking a livelihood. At 30, for entering into one's full strength. So elementary school, they read and studied and memorized the text. They knew what these books said. They understood it. I'm amazed that they were capable of that. Uh, we often think the, first, uh, the people of the first century were ignorant or unlearned, and that's not the case. So the people of Galilee were some of the most religious Jews in the world at the time of Jesus. Patheus, an early Christian father, wrote, while visiting Jerusalem, said this, There is no Jewish child that does not know the history of his people from Abraham to Zerubbabel, meaning from A to Z. They knew the biblical text. There's also a rabbinic saying that comes from the Talmud that says this, The person who recites the text 100 times is not to be compared to the student that recites his lessons 100 times. Meaning, you should memorize and memorize and memorize the text. That's what you study. Now, Jesus would have gone through the same process. And we don't know that much about, about Jesus' life. We knew know this in Luke 2, 6, and 7. It says, uh, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in the manger, and because there was no guest or room available for him to be in. From this verse to age 12, there's no information for us about how Jesus grew up. But we can assume he grew up like other kids grew up there, studying and reciting the Torah in the, in the synagogue. Now we go all the way to, uh, to uh, his age 12. We find him where? The story where he is, they went to Jerusalem and he's in the temple and he tells his mother and dad. Why were you searching for me, he asks. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said, my father's house. That's a messianic proclamation at age 12. My father's house. Calling God his father. So what happened to Jesus from birth to age 12? How did this come about? Have you ever thought about that? Did 
Jesus arrive on earth as a child and think, here I am, the son of God. I believe Jesus was a normal child. He began school at the synagogue in Nazareth at age five, studied and read the scriptures, memorizing the text along with his classmates. And as time went along, he studied more and more. He came to realize the scriptures were talking about him. So by age 12, at the end of his elementary school, Jesus had realized that he was the Son of God through his study. The Messiah, and we knew, and we know that by his statement, that he, that he said, his father's house. As you recall, we read, I think, last week, or we uh, when the rabbis were speaking, they would never call God their father. They, when they were speaking about God, they would call him the Holy One, blessed be. But they would never say, God is my father. We do know that Luke uh, 2.52 says, And Jesus advanced in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So as he grew up, he advanced in wisdom and his relationship to God. So, after graduation from elementary school, the suffer, girls would soon marry, and most boys would begin working alongside their father or uncles or cousins in the family trade. But there were a few who had the ability, and maybe more importantly, the passion, to move on to the next level of learning. And this was called Beth Midrash Secondary School house of study. So in this case, a local rabbi uh, that the synagogue would employ would teach Beth Midrash, not only to the gifted boys, but some of the adults would come after harvest, after work, would come to the school and listen to the rabbis discuss the text, explaining it, debating it with those, uh, with other points of view, and that was the rabbinic way of teaching so at Beth Midrash, they would study the deeper meanings of the Torah and move on to the rest of the Bible, the prophets. And reading the prophets and other writings, and again, memorizing much of the text. But sometimes there were a few, or a very few, that wanted to continue to become what the Bible says is a Talmud or a Talmudim. That is the Hebrew word that Jesus used that's translated as disciples. So when they talk about this word, the Talmud, Talmudim, they're really talking about the twelve apostles or the disciples in that the Hebrew word Talmud describes. So the word Talmud is much more than what we've come up with in our version, Webster's version, definition for disciple. It's someone who wants to know what the rabbi knows or like what the rabbi says so they will follow him. So the word Talmud means those who leave family to study and follow the ways of their teacher, the rabbi. They study not only to learn what the teacher knows, but to become the type of man that the teacher is. A 
Talmud is someone that wants to become what the rabbi is. It's much more than knowing what the rabbi knows, more than what the rabbi teaches. A Talmud wants to become like the rabbi. Essentially, I want to be, in my walk with God, like the rabbi. And to become a true Talmud took a lot of dedication. To know the scriptures the way the rabbi knew it, but to also took dedication, a deep level of commitment that said, no matter what the cost, I'm willing to do what it takes to be like the rabbi. They would live with them 24 hours a day. They would watch everything they do. There were Hebrew texts that says a student walks in the dust of his rabbi. So how did someone become a Talmud? A Talmudim in the first century? Well, after you completed your schooling and you really knew the text, you would find a rabbi that you wanted to be like. And you might go to him and say, may I follow you? In effect, do I have what it takes to be like you? He might observe you for a while or ask you to walk with him so that he could examine you, test you, or ask you questions. And on that basis, if he saw your passion, your knowledge, and your desire to learn, he would say, come follow me. In other words, come be my disciple. But in most cases, they were turned down. Why? Because to be like a rabbi took an unbelievable level of discipline, memorizing the whole text, and demanding a passion for God's word. So most people did not become a Talmud. They learned the Torah when they were young. They would go marry into family business, and like Peter, James, and John, became fishermen. But for the few who made it, got to be disciples and would, be, and would follow their rabbi for several years. And one day the rabbi would say, You have made it. You have completed your work. Now go make disciples. Go make Talmudim of your own. They would provide them some documentation and send them on their way. So once they were thus ordained, they would receive what's called the reshut, which means authority, which was the official recognition that you could speak in the rabbi's name. So what does it mean to speak in the rabbi's name? We read this in the Talmud. The Talmud says, Rabbi Eliezer said in the name of Rabbi Kenan, whoever reports a saying in the name of its originator brings deliverance to the world. In other words, whenever they made a decision, they would quote the rare rabbi, their teacher. This is how they have authority. With the legal rulings and interpretations that they make, they reference their teacher who taught them how to rule and apply scripture. That's why each rabbi was respected for his interpretation of the word because he acknowledged his teacher. 
So, was Jesus a rabbi? Who was his teacher? No. Jesus was not an ordained rabbi. But, all kinds of people called him rabbi. There's a whole list of scriptures here. Matthew 26, 25. Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, rabbi. Mark 9, 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Mark 10, 51. Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. John 1, 38. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? John 1, 49. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. John 3, 2, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. Luke 7, 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, Rabbi, he said. Luke 12, 13, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this is all very interesting. The different kinds of people that called Jesus Rabbi. His disciples called him Rabbi. Pharisees called him Rabbi. Sadducees called him Rabbi. But there is also questions about Jesus' authority. Why? If they ever been called him rabbi, why did they question his authority? Mark uh, 1, 21-22 says, Jesus taught with authority. They went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. So how did he teach Mark 11, 27, 20 says, They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Why did they ask Jesus about his authority? Why did people believe he taught with authority and the Pharisees questioned his authority? Because, like a good rabbi, Jesus didn't quote his teacher or give credit to his teacher because he came from God. He didn't have an earthly teacher. So how did Jesus speak that they thought he taught with authority? Um, a list of scriptures in Matthew shows this. Matthew 5.21 You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So he's giving a decision, an edict about what he believes. Does he reference his teacher next? No. What does he say? But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Matthew 5.27, you had heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, Jesus says, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his heart. Matthew 5.31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Matthew 5.33, again, you have heard that it was said, the people of long ago do not break your oath but fulfill to the Lord the vow you have made. 
but I tell you not to swear an oath at all, either by heaven or for it is God's throne, or from the earth for it is his footstool, or for by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. Jesus says, I tell you. He doesn't say who his teacher is. He doesn't reference his teacher. So you see, in the first century, no one ever spoke the way Jesus spoke. We have the same issue. If Tony came up today during the service and started his lesson and said, I tell you, here we go. Okay, here we go. <laughs> he quotes scripture. He has a reference. Jesus didn't speak like anyone else. No one ever said, I tell you, or I say unto you. No one ever called God his father. This was different. This was not the way a normal rabbi would speak. The Messiah is the only one who could call God his father. But we know that Jesus was no ordinary rabbi. Normally, as we discuss, young people would go to the rabbi and ask if they could follow him and become their disciple. The student made the request. But let's look what Jesus did. Matthew 4, 18-22. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother casting his nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus went out walking in the country, found ordinary people like fishermen, and said, Excuse me, come follow me. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. They didn't get into any rabbi school. They apparently didn't have the training, the education, the skill. They didn't have something the rabbis looked for. So they just decided to become fishermen. I'm sure they felt maybe they weren't good enough. But Jesus, here Jesus comes along, and he says, Come follow me. You can be like me. Jesus picked a bunch of ordinary guys. They weren't all stars. They went to the uh, went to the Bible school and memorized the Torah. And like students, like the students, they didn't choose Jesus, but He chose them. He believed in them. Just the opposite of the ways the rabbis did. So in our life, sometimes we feel the same way, right? No one believes in you, and then someone did or gave you an opportunity, and it changed your life. These guys were fishermen, and they knew Jesus was the Messiah, based on what John the Baptist had said. And Jesus the Messiah is asking them to follow him. I think we would all drop what we were doing and go. But Jesus came to these fishermen and said, I know you, I believe in you. I know you, you can become like me and come follow me. And they did. Now we know as we read through the New Testament, the disciples were not always like Jesus. 
they didn't always get it. Uh, it took time for his followers to become like Jesus. So how did this happen? They spent time with him. They stayed where he stayed. They listened to him speak. They watched him do miracles. They were there when he calmed the sea. They were there when he healed, he healed the sick. They were there when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. They were there when he fed the 5,000. They were there when he walked on water. They were there when he cleaned the temple. They were there at the Last Supper. They were there at Gethsemane. They were there at the cross. They walked in the dust of their rabbi. And through time, and with help of the Holy Spirit, they became like Jesus. So if we are to become like Jesus, we need to become passionate about him. We also need to spend time with him. And the only way I know to do that is for us to be immersed in the text, the Bible. And through baptism, we have received the Spirit, which also helps us. And then we also need to walk in the dust. Matthew 28. But even disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Then they, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. These verses we know and recognize as the Great Commission. This is where Jesus, as he speaks his last words to his disciples, tells them what he wants them to do. Go make disciples. Go make Talmudim. Go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to During his ministry in Israel, Jesus called and trained his disciples. Their job would eventually be to bring his message of redemption to all nations, Jews and Gentiles. What would happen when they began to make disciples of their own and the gospel began to spread to the Greek, to Greek and Roman world, to cultures completely unfamiliar with the Jews, with the Jews and God. Being with Jesus, and the gift of the Holy Spirit gave them confidence to go out completely into completely different cultures and share the message in a way that those people would believe and follow Jesus. Our world is so distracting sometimes. It's difficult for us to focus on Jesus every day, to be consumed with knowing and acting like the one we call the rabbi. We should all strive to be a Talmud. Just as we talked about, it took the disciples in the first century total commitment. And now we look back at the meaning of words meaning of Jesus. We may ask ourselves, are we are we disciples like them? Are we true disciples? Are we Talmudim? Do we spend time with him? Do we study the word? Do we pray? Do we want to be like the rabbi? 
21st century definition, I would think that probably few of, few of us in our culture today could measure up to that. But when we look back at Jesus, we understand he took a bunch of rough fishermen and over time made them true disciples that wanted to be like him. Ephesians 1, 4 said, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us and the one he loves. All of us are chosen by God to be something. What are we to do as chosen people, as disciples, as Talmudim, I think we have the same charge to make people who want to be like the rabbi. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19. But one thing I want you to remember, especially, 